Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and joining me here today is one of the hosts of A Feedback Loop, a music review podcast dedicated to the music of southwestern Ontario. It's Mr. Dylan Zimmerman. That's me. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Dylan? Well, as you know, I am one of the nerdliest nerds who ever nerded. And uh, because I'm looking at running some uh, Star Wars role-playing stuff in the the new year, I've been watching a lot of Clone Wars just to sort of get back in the this-is-what-Star-Wars-is-about kind of mindset. So I just watched the first episode, like, yeah. not even a week ago. Because I was, I, I felt like I needed that fix because it's going to be so long, yeah. like too long until I see The Force Awakens. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so Clone Wars, good show. Clone Wars, yeah. I, the first couple seasons are sort of boilerplate, but later on it gets really interesting. It does some really cool sort of deeper, broader kind of storyline stuff that's really neat. So yeah. it's worth kind of pushing through, or would you suggest just I, diving like move ahead to a, a later season? I would say it's worth pushing through. I mean, it's not like it's it, it was mostly aimed at children, so it's fairly episodic. Though one of the things that it, it does really well is it does like four or five episode kind of arcs. Mm-hmm. You'll have a, a a story of some degree, and it'll go anywhere from three to six episodes. Oh, fun! And it won't always like let you know that in the titles of the episodes. Oh, cool! Sometimes you'll have like part one part two part three and stuff but sometimes it'll just be like six episodes in a row they're all sort of linked around the same thing that's going on yeah i like when things like that are rewarding yeah and smaller arcs and then overarching arcs just layering together yeah competent storytelling and then in i think it's season five it might be season four there's an episode with david tennant as a guest star which is fantastic oh because he's got he's got one of those voices right yeah well the movie that we're here to talk about this week is 1999's sci-fi cult classic sci-fi comedy whatever we should call it yeah sci-fi comedy galaxy quest directed by dean pariso dean parasot i don't know i don't know it's uh if he wants to correct me on that he can he can can call in he can call me yeah so the way that netflix describes this movie first of all when you hover over the title it says they're not a real spaceship crew they just played one on tv try telling that to the aliens who need their help that's about right. Yeah. And then when you click on it, it changes to decades after the success of a sci-fi series. The show's washed-up stars are recruited by actual aliens to pull off an intergalactic rescue mission. Yeah, that's about right, too. I mean, it's not a particularly complex plot. No. and It's pretty I, hard to screw that up. Yeah. It's it's not like some of those <laughs> earlier ones uh, that I, was, I remember listening to, and I was like, that's not even remotely what this movie is about. Mm. But, Although, uh, intergalactic rescue, I guess they are rescuing... Yeah, the species, but it makes it seem like it's going to be like yeah. a almost uh, like a heist, like a heist or a, frig. What do they call it? Like an escort mission yeah, in a video yeah. game, like a tedious escort mission. <laughs> That's what I picture when I hear intergalactic rescue mission. Link, don't get too far ahead. <sighs> <laughs> the genres this movie belongs to are action and adventure, adventures, comedies, sci-fi and fantasy, alien sci-fi, sci-fi adventure, mm-hmm. and probably most appropriately, satires. Yes. And the moods Netflix describes are campy mm-hmm. and imaginative. I don't know if I want to get like too down to fine points right away, but I would consider this more of a parody than a satire. It's not making a point, really. It's just <laughs> sort of broadly loving and enjoying the genre while mocking the obviously mockable bits of it. Yeah. You know, that's more that's more parody. I don't even know if the movie is really campy itself or if it's more 
having fun with camp without yeah. being campy itself. Yeah. I, like, I, that wouldn't be the first word that I would choose. No. But I get what they're getting at. Yeah. Like, these are well-intentioned suggestions. Yeah. And you wouldn't be mad about no, being no. guided to it by way of these paths. No, but, certainly not. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a parody section in it, there. Although no. that would be filled with, like, yeah. Breaking Wind, the Twilight parody. Uh. And, Parody hasn't been good since Mel Brooks stopped making them. Since Galaxy Quest? Wow. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I do like to call this my favorite Star Trek movie. I was going to ask. Um, so, <laughs> I, I, With the exception of maybe Wrath of Khan, this yeah. is... So I, 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 I'm very interested in knowing uh, this was your choice. Yes. So why Galaxy Quest? Or is, is that description you gave me pretty much the reason? Well, I kind of wanted to do something that was not... Like what we did last, like what I did last time, something that was sort of more silly and fun, and and also kind of knowing that there's a whole bunch of Star Wars stuff going on around right now, I wanted to 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 be sort of talking about something that wasn't Star Wars for a while. So that's fair. <laughs> so I just go to the other one. Yeah. Speaking of Star Trek, though, yes. uh, before we get into the movie itself, um, since I mean, like, there's no question. Like this, this movie beats it over your head that it's Star Trek. Oh, like if, totally. if this movie was made now, they probably would have tried exceptionally <laughs> hard to get the original cast of Star Trek together to do this movie. <laughs> but I am curious about, uh, have you seen the trailer for the third movie in the Star Trek reboot? I haven't seen it yet, no. You haven't seen it yet? Okay. No. Have you followed that franchise all along? Yes. Or? And uh, kind of what's your current feelings on the, what's your feelings, what are your feelings on the current state of Star Trek? My feelings on the current state of Star Trek are that J.J. Abrams really loved Star Wars, but doesn't really get Star Trek. That's fair. And and I think it shows, because based on everything I've been hearing about the new Star Wars movie, it's like all of the things that he tried to shoehorn into Star Trek that don't really work for Star Trek, because Star Trek has always been a bit more cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, work fantastically in a Star Wars setting, and that's what J.J. Abrams knows and loves. So it's good to see him get to do what he knows and loves. Um, but it's not entirely J.J. Abrams' fault, and a lot of people like lay that all at his feet. But I read somewhere that Simon Pegg has been on the verge of quitting doing this third Star Trek movie about three times because the studio, he like submitted a script, he said, and the, the studio basically came back with the notes that it was too much like a Star Trek movie. Oh, no. He <laughs> was just like, oh, no, are we not making a Star Trek movie? <laughs> Although that could be a compliment. Maybe they're like, no, no, we're not running with this because it's like Star Trek nemesis. So we yeah. need to do better. But the the main issue is that that the Star Trek movie as a thing, doesn't do particularly well financially. Like, it doesn't do badly, but it doesn't rake in the cash either. And Paramount, or whoever's running the the Star Trek franchise right now, desperately wants it to make a lot of money, so they're willing to make it a movie that, as J.J. Abrams put it, that moviegoers want to see rather than a movie that Star Trek fans want to see. Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned on this show before that I'm becoming more tolerant of the sacrilege of our Mm -hmm. pop culture mythology yeah like at this point if there's an established character it's okay to play with it and to do different things and to to segment it if you don't like it Mm -hmm. like i i find a way like i I don't have trouble enjoying Mm -hmm. the star trek movies they're the new ones the you know star trek and star trek into darkness yeah Uh, the first one more than the second but because it, I think it's okay to take those familiar characters and use them as kind of a shortcut or yeah. as a, having that be your form that you variate yeah. from. 
but I also like I don't consider it Star Trek at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah, I was gonna say to borrow an old quotation, say magnifique mais ce n'est pas la Star Trek. <laughs> Where's that from? The the original quote was a, a quote about the charge of the Light Brigade in a war in the 1800s. This this uh, general said, "Say magnifique mais ce n'est pas la guerre." It's it's magnificent, but it's not war because it was the changing that the changing technology at the at the time. So right. You know, it's it's they're they're good movies, but they're not good Star Trek movies. Sure, it's good. And it, although the the third one, and I need to be mm-hmm. careful so as to not offend people who are near and dear to me, but <laughs> the, the third one looks like it's just it's not even pretending anymore. Yeah, like it's. Do you know who's directing it? It's no, Justin Lin, who did the last uh, four Fast and Furious movies. Okay, so he's taking over Star Trek, and the trailer is all explosions and okay. people flying out of airlocks and i had hopes because it was going to be simon pegg writing it and i know how much simon pegg actually loves star trek so mm-hmm. it was it, i think it was important to him and he said as much that it was sort of important to him that it become more like what star trek is mm-hmm. so it could just be effective marketing that they're yeah. like oh well let's yeah. let's get this out there and let's just throw yeah. justin lynn's name on it and yeah and capture that audience, and yeah. then Star Trek fans will go see it anyway. So slightly awkward admission: the Fast and the Furious movies. I have not seen any of them. I, don't, I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of thing where um, it's it's totally possible to get too caught up in the hype of it. Yeah. And hearing how amazing the seventh Fast Seven Furious Seven Angry Hateful Eight Too uh, Fast five Too Fast furious. Too Furious Yeah. yeah. So it's. It's definitely possible to buy into the hype too much on mm-hmm. those because when you watch it, you're like, okay, and then, then I watched it. It's not, yeah. it doesn't get deep inside of you or anything. I haven't seen the most recent one, yeah. but I, I went through a, a stint recently where I watched one through five. I watched whatever was on Netflix and it just. I get, I get kind of contrarian with movie suggestions sometimes too. When there are, when there are too many people I know being like, you have to watch this movie. You have mm-hmm. to watch this movie. I'm, I'm more likely to avoid it and give it a mess and not not go there and it's it's instinctual too it's not even like a conscious like well screw you then <laughs> it's just uh you have this like, curmudgeon gene that, yeah. <laughs> that kicks into well, overdrive been an 80 year old man my entire life right That's so. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so uh galaxy quest then yes galaxy, galaxy quest. quest one of the interesting things about this it was originally intended to be a much more dark and cynical movie i don't know if you did any reading about this um like to the point where there are some obvious dub overs of lines that were <laughs> yeah <laughs> the one in particular uh sigourney reaver weaver uh is looking at these giant metal chomping crushing things and she looks at them and she says screw that but that is clearly not the word coming out of her mouth no sir <laughs> no and it, it's blatant like it's right yeah, yeah. in front of the camera and it's jarring yeah like it's not <laughs> It's really dis- it's distracting yeah. to to notice it. I, I, I had read that, and yeah. I, I mean, generally, my inclination is sh- sure make it darker, make it yes. grittier. Um, I don't think that would have worked. But in this case, though. yeah, I'm fine with it. I prefer it the way it is oh, because totally. I think the the softness and kind yeah. of the gentle touch, and like you do get hints of darkness. Oh, absolutely, and like <laughs> crushing violence. <laughs> But if there had been scene with the the thing when they teleported and it's like inside out oh, the, and it explodes and <laughs> uh, what do they call it? The, uh, yeah. A pig. It's like a pig dog bear yeah. man bear pig. Yeah. So I mean, like you do have that, but yeah. it, it's these rare moments of mm-hmm. horrifying cartoony <laughs> violence yeah. amidst this really loving, soft, playful yeah. homage. 
to were, Star Trek. There were a lot of Star Trek alumni who got like invited to do bit parts who refused mm-hmm. because when they heard about it, they thought it was going to be this like dark, cynical thing. And, and many of them actually have said in interviews that they were less worried about them being mocked. But they desperately didn't want the fans to be mocked, and they didn't want to be associated with something that was mocking the fans so mm-hmm. hard. And then when it came out and they saw what a sort of loving parody it was, there many of many of them expressed regret that I hadn't taken part. Will Wheaton, in particular, had an opportunity to do like a walk-on role where he he uh, he yelled at the the child genius character for being really annoying. And uh, he turned that down, and he regrets that now. <laughs> I guess if you're going to do that, then you, you either would have had to go kind of all for broke or just yeah. have maybe one. I, I, again, I prefer it without that. I think that it's more fun to have these analogs for everybody instead yeah. of these these very overt yes. winks. Like, let, <laughs> let the story do the winking, not the casting. And Tim Allen doing William Shatner is brilliant, though. It really is. <laughs> Well, I guess okay. So yeah, yeah. the uh, the William Shatner character, Jason Nesmith. Yes, I liked his character a lot. He was, uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about like the the real Star Trek people, the, mm-hmm. the William Shatners and the Leonard Nimoy's. But I think that Tim Allen did an incredible job with this character. Like yeah. at, at no point did you not believe that he was this yeah. smarmy, overconfident <laughs> person who realized that he was holding the whole ship together, but yeah. also really needed everybody around yeah. him to approve and. I loved early on in the movie, like how plain, especially like right after he he has that scene where he overhears the the, the teenagers in the bathroom talking about how they're all washed up and they all suck and he's kind of an asshole. And, right. That's like really know? shitty troll behavior. I just want to take a second yeah. to point out like who pays to get into a convention? Like this <laughs> yeah. is a... These kids are, and they're going to talks, and they're, they're like, yeah. going to things and paying a lot of money to just go and be crappy to people and to make fun of them and to, yeah. to laugh at all these people yeah. at this convention who are just there to, to love what they're doing. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's, it's not even that it's cruel. It's just, no. like... Why would you it's pay a, money to do that? Yeah, it's a bad investment of time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry. I, I love the sense that I got that as a character, like, he truly actually loved the show and loved the fans and loved the people associated with it like he he was you know for all his like smarmy sort of self-centeredness he was he was genuinely into what he was doing and that came through really well through tim allen and it was really kind of adorable and set the tone for the entire movie yeah his um i mean we see that when when gwen sigourney weaver you know when when tim allen uh freak what's his character's name again (laughs) jason nesmith right when jason is kind of flies off the handle at fans she said you know it's 18 years we've been doing this and i've never seen him treat a fan that way like he does have that that caring side to him and i don't know if it's that he has just because he spent 18 years doing the same character that it's really bled into his own life or if he kind of buys his own hype after being Mm -hmm. the headliner of everything for so long the one the one kind of little staging Mm-hmm. thing that i loved about him was his house yes because he has this big opulent house like he's clearly mm-hmm. made a lot of money off of this show but he spends it you know drinking himself to sleep but he has these big glass windows everywhere yeah so you get this image of this guy who's kind of up on top of the hill mm-hmm. but he's inviting everybody like come and see me come and look yeah. at me but but nobody wants to kind of share the bed with him and yeah and to be around him because he's kind of insufferable <laughs> yeah 
The casting was great all throughout, though. I mean, Sigourney Weaver as the bridge bunny was was a really funny bit of counterpoint. Bridge bunny. I've never heard that phrase oh, it's a TV before. No, that's term, totally totally appropriate. I yeah, just yeah. never heard it before. I, it, it's a TV tropes term, um, and uh, it, it's just a brilliant bit of like counterpoint casting because of what she's famous <laughs> yeah. for, right? <laughs> and it's like I have one job on this ship, and it is to repeat the things the computer says. Yeah. When I was reading a bit about her character, I it was being said that she was really kind of a pretty, pretty harsh indictment of Deanna Troy, yes. especially. Yes. Which I don't know. I don't know if I just haven't spent enough time with the Next Generation to really understand the poignancy of that. Because I don't know. I find that Deanna Troy's real power isn't necessarily when she's on the bridge. Yeah. And doing that whole thing. I find it's when she's having the one-on-one conversations and kind of helping people. Early Deanna Troy had a lot of that. Where she, I mean, she wasn't, she didn't have as much of the the sort of like one to one wise counselor thing going on, and she really did have a lot of like I detect hostility after the alien has drawn a gun and threatened someone's life. Right. Like, yeah, no, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> as there's a photon torpedo launching towards the ship. Yeah. So I mean, the the show got better, and the writing got better, and the writing of Deanna in particular got better as the show went on. But the first couple of seasons were pretty rough. Yeah, I do remember her. Being being fairly insufferable and just kind of yeah i don't know like she was put upon me the i mean the next generation's real like prime period is that sort of same prime period of most shows that like season three season four season five season six were the best seasons because you've hit that stride of you know sort of how to write these characters now and you know who these people are and you can do the interesting things with them but you haven't run out of interesting things to do with (laughs) them yet plus you know he got rid of wesley so well that doesn't hurt you're a wesley fan aren't you well not really but not even will wheaton's a wesley fan anymore so that's that's fair (laughs) you know who is super undervalued in the next generation and this is probably the most i don't know i'm gonna get yelled at for this but um dr pulaski yes from season two yeah i thought she was amazing yeah. like this nice contrast to crusher who is maybe a little bit too involved with people and yeah and had all this history and then you have this cold yeah. stoic doctor again she's like, more of a bones yeah and it was i don't i comforting. don't hate pulaski the way that some people hated pulaski i didn't i mean she felt like she was sort of tacked on on that season that she was there like she didn't feel like she was a part of things in the same way and i right but i thought that that was a kind of interesting dynamic that yeah, it was yeah. her she was the new kid mm-hmm. while also being a hyper professional at the same time yeah. but still like if eventually towards the end she starts to kind of show up on uh, in yeah. data's adventures and mysteries and things like that so she starts yeah. to ingratiate herself and then the next thing you know she's gone she's gone yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I didn't love her that much, but I didn't dislike her in the way that people people like vehemently dislike that character. And I always thought that was a little harsh. I think that's also a love of Crusher. That, and that like, too, yeah. like she represents that gap, right? Where yeah. all of a sudden this beloved character isn't yeah. there anymore. Well, I mean, and, and Crusher was in both a literal and metaphorical sense, sort of cast mom, right? sort of the part of the part of the mom of the group because she was sort of side-eyeing the captain the whole time too right (laughs) Right. and that was the thing that was and part of my part of my reaction to that when i when i sort of started to put all of those aspects together it's a little weird that crusher and picard are sort of side-eyeing each other this entire time because like crusher's former husband was like picard's best buddy 
It's like, I mean, yeah, he's dead and has been dead for a while, but there's a part of me that's like, this feels vaguely uncomfortable. But that's also a, I forget what I was listening to um, when they were talking about this. It might've been the crack podcast where that's not an uncommon thing no. in, in like seafaring yeah. where the idea is like, if, if you're lost at sea, mm-hmm. then you go home and you take care of your best friend's wife. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea of where swinging originally came from. Okay. Uh, apparently I, I'm recounting this third hand at this point, but yeah. uh, Star Trek, the next generation especially seems very kind of respectful of the naval tradition. Yeah. So I don't think that it's uh you know, necessarily out of place no. for, for, for that to be the case. And I mean, it's, you know, you spend a lot of time with people cloistered away on spaceships That's with true. very little access to other people. Yes. You know, you, you kind of fall in love with whatever's around you. Did you know that Harold Ramis was involved with this production for a while? Yes. Um, yeah. So that was what I meant earlier when I said, I know who didn't direct this. Right. Yeah. I forgot about Harold <laughs> Ramis. Um, and he went off and did, evolution instead yeah i don't remember what he did instead but it wasn't as good well yeah 2001 was evolution so i think that you know if he's going to do the sci-fi comedy thing then that's Mm -hmm. what he went off and did which i mean it's not really a fair comparison it's a different movie with but i definitely prefer this one evolution is is not the did you read why harold ramis left um i heard because tim allen was cast yes which is he wanted he wanted kevin klein or alec baldwin and when he got neither of them he left (laughs) took his ball and went home yeah so then he went off and got David Duchovny for Revolution. So, yeah. Hey. Oh, well, the funny thing for me is like Kevin Klein or Alec Baldwin, while both decent actors, neither of them would have been right for this. Mm. No, I think that this this movie is definitely a representation or a uh, an example of you know, the right things coming together at the right time and yeah. just a, a whole bunch of perfect things happening yeah. all at once. Well, Alan Rickman. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So Alan Rickman uh, does a tremendous job as uh, Alexander yeah. Dane, the uh, the Spock analog. Yes. What's the the character that he played? Have to having to remember. Can't remember the two characters, characters name. for each of these guys. I is, can't remember the character's name, but there's no way you can forget the the catchphrase <laughs> by Grabthar's hammer. Yeah, great things going on with that character. <laughs> yeah. First of all, just with kind of the the Spock analog itself, that he's got this this catchphrase that he's yeah. super resentful of. I don't know how Leonard Nimoy felt about live, live long, long and, and prosper, but I uh, think he went through multiple stages in his life. I think he ended very pleased with it. But I think there was a period in the middle where he was sort of tired of it for right, a while. Right, yeah, because he, he signed off all of his tweets, LLAP, so he just kind of yeah. owned it by by the end. But you also get some really fun moments with him being the kind of the alien character yeah. um, when the Thermians are preparing the home dishes the <laughs> yeah. of, of everybody from their native culture. <laughs> so Jason gets this, you know, this delicious Iowa-fed... Iowa steak. This <laughs> corn-fed Iowa beef and poor poor alexander stuck with these wriggling bugs and yeah. he just puts on such a brave face <laughs> it's just like uh, and he's got that he's, because he's alan rickman he's got that like quiet gravitas of like the i think i don't think that scene would have been nearly as funny as if when it had been offered to him the the thermian hadn't asked him you know how is it and he just sort of looks at it and he goes just like mother used to make i've read as well and i mean when i say i've read i mean i read the imdb page but that yep. he that originally they wanted to have him be sir alexander sir, dane yeah. and that he was knighted and that alan rickman yeah. said no i don't no. feel like that's that's fitting no. for the character because it's not about it's not about him actually being respected it's yeah. about him being like a legend of of theater in his yes. own mind so 
even though him and Alexander and James have both kind of hit the same peak mm-hmm. and the same plateau, one of them has accepted it and run with the ball, yeah. and the other one is just living in this this constant struggle with the fact that he feels like he's better than his circumstances and that's that's what the whole crew is doing like they're all they're all disappointed that this is as good as it's going to get for them yeah but we we're past the point of anybody really trying to do anything else it's they're booking conference after conference after store opening oh what was it a (laughs) it was like a barbecue store or something ridiculous like that grab thar's hammer what a savings (laughs) (laughs) The best representation for Alexander Dane, or the best example for Alexander Dane of uh, of him fighting against what he's become mm-hmm. is when uh, Gwen calls him to yeah. be like, James is having a breakdown. I wonder what's wrong with him. Yeah. And uh, he's still wearing the headpiece. He's still wearing the alien thing. So even though he's at home or yeah. in a hotel by himself, he doesn't need to be impressing anybody. That's still part of him. Yeah. It's still so much of his identity now to play that character. It never takes off in the entire movie. Right. It never goes away. No, it never does. And I think it's especially important in that scene where he's by himself. Yeah. Like he doesn't take it off to kind of get comfortable and, and kind of look at it from afar yeah. on the nightstand in shame of what he's become. Like it is him. But it's also really important to his identity that he always feels like he's better than his circumstances because then he can look down on everybody else around him and feel like he's he's the superior being. It's perfect as Alan Rickman, too, because he was desperately concerned about being typecast after Die Hard as this this villainous Brit. Except he's German. (laughs) He is German. But, you know, he's he's the actor, of course. Alan Rickman, you know, am I going to be this sort of asshole forever right <laughs> although his probably, probably my favorite scene with him in it is uh is where he's being an asshole where i forget what gets said to him when he's at the when he's signing the autographs somebody's makes some kind of snide remark and he just uh in, instead of kind of graciously reaching out and grabbing the autograph oh, i think he just i think he just like gives the the like catchphrase all like i'm you know uh, it's it's where it's when they're at the table and, yeah 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 uh, and, and he just kind of like grabs it all like snarkily and signs it aggressively and yeah i don't know i love that moment that just oh, that yeah. look on his face yeah it's a really <laughs> really incredible performance from him i'm a big fan of alan rickman so that's that's always always fun to watch there's a great story i heard watching have you ever watched qi no it's the british panel show that was until very recently hosted by stephen fry and it's this, it's, it's short for quite interesting. And it's the most bizarre, like cerebral sort of panel show where it's all about the most random of random sort of facts. It's absolutely right delightful. You can find stuff, you can find most of the episodes on YouTube if you look for it. It's, it's just, it's fantastic. And one of the actors who was there was talking about a dinner party he had gone to where Alan Rickman was there. And one of the kids, one of the like host's children, and Alan Rickman very much dislikes uh, talking about playing villains. One of the host kids was like, Alan, why do you play so many villains? And Alan Rickman goes, I don't play villains. I play interesting people. And that fits together with this character really well in my head. Like, mm-hmm. Kind of one of the uh, the quietly winning character for me is uh, Tony Shalhoub yes. and uh, Fred Kwan, yeah. who... I don't. I, I don't know what ex- if there is a specific Star Trek comparison that they're going at from this with the whole like racial miscasting, where you, you have this guy who yeah. is first of all he doesn't look Asian. I don't know if he's no. supposed to be 
Korean or Chinese or but he's yeah. Fred Kwan playing Tech Sergeant Chen. Yeah. But he looks like Tony Shaloub. And so yeah. you're kinda like, Where are we going with this now? And then later in the movie he actually says, My name's not even Kwan and then you're like, What are you doing here? Because I'm pretty like It's sort of a Sulu reference. Because but Sulu's Japanese. Yes. And so is George Takei, isn't yes. he? But Sulu is not a Japanese name. It's not. So the, okay. the, the, there's this like we want him to be like Japanese, but not like Japanese Japanese. Just you know, like not white, like easy to accept Japanese. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that's sort of, I think that was one of the things that was less well realized in the in the final cut. There, there's that was that was generally the, the sort of accepted answer of the sort of speculation about that that I was reading online. It was sort of like they looked like they were going for something, but didn't quite get it. It could also be a, like a Walter Koenig thing, yeah, because he's from Chicago. Yes, doing that uh, that Russian doing accent. That Russian accent. Oh my god! Um, and then done, <laughs> possibly even yeah. more amazingly in the reboot by uh, Anton Yelchin. Yes, where the that's that amazing line where the the ship's computer can't recognize what he's saying. Yeah, Victor, <laughs> Victor. <laughs> Incidentally, if you ever get the opportunity, it's a very long show, but you should watch Babylon 5. Yes. I Walter have. Koenig is is a recurring sort of pseudo bad guy kind of guy. Ooh. And he is fantastically just like snide and short and kind of cruel and brilliantly clever. And he, it's just to sit like whenever I watch that show and I see his character, his name is Bester. I'm just like, Star Trek wasted you, man. <laughs> it was so good. I did love that character, though, despite kind of the that point not necessarily yeah, yeah. landing for me. I loved how, I loved that, like, incredibly slow back, laid back, like, they're telling me that the ship is about to explode <laughs> and it's such an amazing contrast to i guess the scotty the, scotty right? yeah, yeah who's like you know the stereotype is him just like freaking out like big red faced sort of giving her all she's got captain yeah uh, just losing his mind so then you've got this like is he well, supposed to be stoned is that I don't, I don't is that know. the idea? Because at one point when they're <laughs> when they're on the shuttle, everyone else is super panicking because this yeah. is their first time being in an actual space shuttle, and he's sitting there eating like those those little breadstick crackers that come with the single serving cheese. Like he somehow <laughs> got that on board, yeah, and he's yeah. just sitting there munching away with a smiley look on his face. It's so funny. I think that it was. I think it was one of those things that it was intended to be sort of like there if you were looking for it, and but never actually stated. It's uh, as, as far as the Scotty comparison thing goes, that's another sort of aspect of the the Quan and the accent thing, because Scotty had this like great Scottish accent. But James Doohan is, like, from Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Completely uh, random trivia about James Doohan. He was once called the craziest pilot in the Canadian Army. Nice. Because he used to do, like, he used to do these 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 crazy flying, like, slalom things on his base. He would slalom in between these, like, pillars. He was nuts. He also, when playing the role of Scotty, Scotty was missing the tip of a finger james doing is not missing the tip of a finger he always just kept it curled out of sight out of the camera so that he looked like he was short of finger because he felt like scotty would have lost a finger at some point really yeah oh man i love that 
Yeah. I love that a lot. Yeah. What's the other amazing Quan part? Oh, yeah, it's when uh, everybody gets teleported. Yes. And then he's trying to get the snacks out of the machine. That's probably where he got the breadsticks from. Yeah. The, uh, the crackers from. And everybody else, they have this, like, visceral, freezing, cold, shocked reaction when yeah. they land. And then right after he beams down, it's just like, uh-huh. oh, that was cool. That was neat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, where are we going, guys? There's a great part in that scene. Um, I can't remember the actor's name now, but the guy... Sam the, Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. There's that, like, pause, and then he screams really loudly, and you can see Sigourney Weaver jump. She wasn't told that he was going to yeah. scream like that. <laughs> that, that was yeah. an honest jump on her part. She was not expecting that. And speaking of Guy, yes, also a phenomenal character. <laughs> yes. Um, he's the, the prototypical the, red, the red shirt. shirt. Yeah. I uh, love that scene in the, when they're, they're, they're on, like, a shuttle or the car or something, and he's, he's like, I don't even know, have a last name. And Sigourney Weaver goes, Guy, you have a last name. <laughs> <laughs> but we never hear what it is. No, we do. Oh, we do. We do at the end. We see right, uh, yeah, when yeah. he gets the the credit. Yeah, yeah. At the end, it's like Guy Freeman or something yeah. like that. Um, I love when the characters get used, and we see this later with Gwen as well. But when the characters get used to kind of call the bullshit on the series, yes, and kind of uh, like a lot of the tropes that they play with, yeah, like. Um, when the ship lands, when yeah. the, the shuttle lands, and Guy is freaking out because he's mm-hmm. got it in his head that he's the disposable one. He's the yeah. one who's got to die to prove that, that everything's gotten serious because that was his role in the show. And he's not part of the main cast. He's really tacked himself on to somewhere that he, he seems like he doesn't belong. And he's losing his mind about, like, why? Like, you're just opening the door? Like, we don't <laughs> know if there's any air out there. And it's it's that thing, like I said, <laughs> where it's like, well, how many times do we see that? Like, you just you beam down. Oh, don't worry. It's an, it's an M-class plan. <laughs> Don't worry yeah, about it's it. Fine. Yeah. There are so many M class planets out there. It's yeah. everywhere is pretty much safe to. Yeah. You very rarely see people in uh, in uh, in spacesuits. Yeah. The other part of his that I think really stands out and was a lot of fun, but probably more sly mm-hmm. than than some of the more overt fun that they were having with tropes and things like that is when Guy is at first explaining how terrified he is and why he's scared. Like, the line he says is, I'm the guy who dies to prove it's serious. The scene immediately preceding that is when we see the original Thermian commander getting tortured to death. Yeah. So, he's not. The Thermian guy who just died is the person in this movie (laughs) who who dies to prove to us that everything's gotten serious. Yeah. And then, within seconds, you've got a guy pointing out this trope that the movie itself has just performed. Yeah. There's yeah. really <laughs> very there's some very clever stuff. I I was reading it was really interesting that in the theaters the film was presented in 1.85 to 1 for the first 20 minutes or so right up to the point where Tim Allen realizes he's on a spaceship and the spaceship expands and when it expanded the screen expanded to 2.35 to 1 as well. So you had this just like everything got all big all yeah. of a sudden. Well, the whole, like, like the, that's really cool. <laughs> the scope of the world for them had really opened up. They yeah, saw yeah. they saw how much more to the universe there actually was outside of their own pathetic, stunted existence. <laughs> I, I had started to mention Gwen. We talked a little bit about the kind of the bridge bunny idea. Yeah. And she's really explicit. You you already oh, brought yeah, up the yeah. line of like, if, <laughs> if this is my one job, then I'm you going to do better it. believe that I'm going to do it right. <laughs> yeah. And then the same thing happened, or a similar thing happens when they encounter the the crushers yes. in the ship, 
where she just starts getting really mad at whoever wrote that episode because it's clearly just there (laughs) to be a trap for the actors to have to go through. There's no logical reason for there to be all these crushing mechanisms with (laughs) jets of fire at the end as if the nonsense crushing wasn't enough in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was fun. And that was even more explicit than ever before because oh, she's yeah, yeah. referencing not just the show but, but the, the creation of the show, the show. Yeah. and and uh, and really again kind of calling out the idea of these you know when we kind of talked about this already like star trek when it's at its best is when it's cerebral and pensive and it's it's thinking yeah. about the world and how the world should be and how it's mm-hmm. not rarely at its best when it's being star wars yeah. right when they're you know i don't need <laughs> to see riker in a fight like no. that's that, that that doesn't stand out to anybody as no. a highlight of any episode ever <laughs> but because that gets tacked on so often probably to appease somebody, somebody. that's yeah. when the show is at its worst and she's kind of calling that out on yeah. top of everything else yeah do you have a favorite star trek episode so i i haven't seen the original series okay. at all oh you should watch some of that there's um, some really good stuff in that um one of my personal favorites is called the balance of terror it's one of the first Romulan episodes. And in it, it's sort of like the hunt for Red October in space, actually, this episode. They, they discover that there's a cloaked Romulan ship on their side of the neutral zone. And the entire episode is them, is, is it being cloaked and like trying to get away and them sort of like hunting it. And it also trying to, to position itself to get a killing blow on the Enterprise mm-hmm. so that the fact that it was in on their side of the neutral zone yeah, I think I have won't seen this ever one, yeah. get discovered. Right. And and there's this like sub battle in space and it goes on for most of the episode and it's really tense. And then at the very end of it, after Kirk has won it, the Romulan says to him, you know, talks about how, you know, we're we're really not so different. But not in like that villain sort of way, but in that like sort of stoic military officer to military officer sort of way like you know there's and there's that great line he says to to kirk he says in another universe i might have called you friend and then there's this pause and and he says one last duty left to perform and this a fantastic moment of acting from william shatner which doesn't happen all that often but when it does (laughs) it's really good Kirk gets this like horrified look on his face as he realizes what that means. And he starts going, no, we'll unload your people. will and then the ship self-destructs and he's just like, God damn it. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say that, but yeah. that's, you know, that look on his face. Right. And, and you can tell that, that Kirk as a character is really sort of like moved by that. Like it, it upsets him that he wasn't able to, he wasn't allowed to like save those people, even mm-hmm. though they were his enemies. Mm-hmm. And that in my mind is like when Star Trek's at its best, it's this, examining sort of the nature of you know what an enemy is Mm -hmm. that's part of what i I love so much about this movie and you have talked a bit already about kind of what star trek is versus what star wars is and i think it's unfair for those two to spend so much time in each other's closets yeah because they are separate shows and it doesn't need to be an either or Mm -hmm. they're really they're the title is similar that's pretty much where the comparisons stop but the movie does a fantastic job of being respectful of everything that Star Trek can be. Yes. And I think that, like, the people who get it, the, I, I grew up saying Trekkies, but, you know, yeah. Trekkers or, or whatever the, the official thing is, but just, just people who get it are not the people who are just kind of like coming into one episode and being like, oh, well, these are, mm-hmm. this is weird. Overall, it, it tends to be an optimistic but honest look at yeah. life. 
So you can understand why the Thermians coming across this text yes. would be willing to kind of, even though they don't have a concept of drama and acting, mm-hmm. it you really respect that they've come across this and they say, well, yeah, this is, this is a great way to live, especially if yeah. they're living in this horrible strife of you know whatever, yeah. whatever holocaust they're experiencing you know it, it's hope it's yeah. optimism it's i suppose i've used the two words that i wanted to use but it's <laughs> it's a hopeful optimistic future yeah that i mean if you presented me with the option of choosing any fictional future to choose from yeah why would you not choose star trek where war is all but abolished except on a planetary level yeah. need doesn't exist want is barely there mm-hmm. You know, or just where there's there's opportunity and community, and yeah. you were talking about when Star Trek is at its best and at its worst, and another time when it's at its best and at its worst is it's at its best when it remembers that it's about hopeful optimism, and it's at its worst when it gets too cynical. There were some episodes, uh, sort of towards the end of the Next Generation, and and through a lot of Deep Space Nine, where that hopeful optimism was sort of replaced with a a much more like cynical there's a there's a huge plot line in deep space nine about uh how the evil changelings have like taken over our government and there's like fascism and stuff in in starfleet and i know that there are people who really like that but it never really did it for me because star trek is at its best when it retains that hopeful optimism and when things get too bleak it stops feeling like star trek and starts feeling like other sci-fi for galaxy quest mm-hmm. like it, it shows that this this culture finds this show finds this text and yeah. manages to put together a pretty respectable life for themselves yeah kind of tailored around this it's albeit fictional but this yeah. this existence the, the historical this piece of culture. documents yes the historical documents <laughs> i love the scene when the villain gets so much glee out of forcing the actors to tell the truth to the thermians like the the glee on his face is just so palpable in that scene, which is kind of impressive given the size of that yeah. aesthetic. <laughs> um, it's just like tell them, tell them the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know who that actor is? I looked it up and now I can't remember. So it's Robin Sachs, who's uh, Ethan Rain from Buffy. Okay. <laughs> so like Evil Giles that's, that's is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Underneath all this makeup, you have this <laughs> delicious villain. Yeah. So good. Oh, I, yeah. I loved the Thermians as well. Oh, just yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> the way of speaking. The way of speaking, just so much of how they did those characters is perfect. Mm-hmm. Especially the way that, uh, I apologize for pronouncing this name the way that I'm about to, but Enrico Colantoni, uh, he's the one who plays Mathazar. Yeah. So the, the lead guy that, that sings songy cadence mm-hmm. to his voice. Where, I mean, it's doing a pretty good job for a race of octopus yeah. people trying to replicate human speech for the first time. <laughs> that was all him, I read as well. That that they that that way of speaking mm-hmm. was originally developed by him, and they liked it so much that they were like, yes, let's yeah. have everyone do that. The really impressive thing about him doing that, though, is it's funny when it needs to be funny. Yeah. But then he's also, despite it being so ridiculous, yeah. instead of just, we need your help, you also get, like, <laughs> when... When James, uh, when Tim Allen, whatever we're calling him, yeah. uh, when he fires on Saris in the yeah. first place, 
Mathis gets this look on his face that's both like it's it's like shock and arousal at the same time like he's just like this is everything i wanted it to be and i'm so scared it's like his mouth is just completely slack-jawed and then later when he's being tortured and when he's having um when saris again is forcing the cast to reveal just the concept of fiction yeah. to Mathazar. And he does that same thing where it's that same open jaw, like, yeah. we need your help. But he's just going, oh, yeah. And he's, he's still singing from the back of his throat, but it's yeah. tragic. It's like watching, it's like watching Ralph getting his heart ripped out on the <laughs> Simpsons. Like if you slow it down, you can see the moment his heart breaks. Yeah. It's, and it's really poignant. Which is insane. Yes, for, for such how a ridiculous, ridiculous character trait. Yeah, it he he found a way to do it in a way that was ridiculous, but still able to cover an extremely broad range of emotion. And the the species as a whole, you mm-hmm. really you get a feel for their plight. Yeah, and you cheer for them. You really yeah. want them to do well, and you want them to survive because they've adopted that optimism yeah. that we want to see continue on, and they're so respectful of the people who yeah. brought them that optimism like they all the whole crew wants to be there when the ship launches yeah. in the first place and they you know even though they haven't <laughs> they haven't quite figured out how applause works like yeah. they, they just all want to be there and be a part of it like it's a it's a race that's yeah. worth surviving even yeah. though they don't have any means to defend themselves yeah i was gonna say you you, you also get this feeling like watching them like, not only are they just both, like, ridiculous and adorable, but they're so, like, defenseless that you love them in a protective sort of way, too. You want to be like, oh, it's going to be okay. And it, the the casting for those characters was also, it kept being, like, a little, surprise, it's this person. Like, it's, yeah. uh, like, Rain Wilson is yep. in there, and Missy Pyle is in there, and yep. Sam Lloyd, the, the lawyer from Scrubs. Yeah. He's kind of tucked away in, there yep. in the background, too. Like, he's all these people that you're oh, just yeah. like, yeah, and Veronica, Mar- Veronica uh, Mars' dad is in person. there. And, yeah. Um, and they're all just owning it, and yeah, they're all just yeah. going for it. And it's, yeah. that, it's that commitment. Everybody is working so well together in yes. this movie and yeah. just doing what they have to do. And they're having fun, and they, and they all clearly want to be there. Like, you can tell sometimes when an actor doesn't want to be doing mm-hmm. the crap that they're doing. And I, and I didn't get that sense from anybody in that movie. One thing that I liked, I'm going to even go so far as to say better in this than mm-hmm. in most Star Trek is because it's got such a big budget yeah they're able to do some aliens that aren't yes. just <laughs> the little humans the with little ridges. aliens yeah like you've got the little aliens you've got the, the rock rocks thing. you've got i mean saris is saris and the thermians are probably the most star trek yeah as far as kind of aliens go because they're mm-hmm. just well i guess not when they transfer when we see what they're that they're actually <laughs> like these octopuses um but you know, in Star Trek, we're used to kind of person in makeup. Yeah. And that's what you get. Or like basically a smear of jelly across the camera lens. And we'll just say that that's a, that's a plasma cloud. That's yeah. sentient. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but especially when they go down to the planet, you get all these different actual like physiologies and yeah. things like that. So it was, it was really fun to see them interact yeah. with those and to kind of do things that yeah. even star trek wouldn't yeah. normally be able to do i mean the original star trek um special effects look fantastic to me because i'm a fan of doctor who but um, <laughs> <laughs> all of the universe is a quarry in wales um 
sometimes, I mean, with, with a lot of the Star Trek stuff, um, even at the time, I mean, the, the, the cost associated with making practical offense, effects that could emote in the way that was necessary for a show that was about that sort of heady, cerebral look at science fiction. I mean, yeah. Star Wars, it doesn't have to, they don't have, they don't have to convey um, such precise emotion in the same way because it's a, much more about laser swords and pew guns, which is not an indictment of Star Wars. I love Star Wars. It's fantastic, but it's very different as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And, and so in Star Trek, you needed, you almost needed those human faces so that you could appreciate the sort of precision of the performances a little better. Yeah. The, the, the weird aliens that I mentioned, like they're all for kind of gimmicky effect. Like oh, we have sure. the pig, like its yeah. job is to explode. <laughs> yes. And, and like the rock monster, like its yeah. job is to be a big rock monster. Its like it's not doing, to, its job is to not have junk. It's, uh, like the, they're there for the novelty of it, yeah. But it's fun to get both. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. to to have a little bit of Star Wars in your Star Trek, oh, but absolutely. not have it. You can't have it take over. Yeah. One last thing for me that really spoke to me about this movie was the camaraderie amongst the crew. Yeah. Despite the fact that it, it's almost like a like a high school clique. Yeah. In that everybody who's there is talking about everybody else who's there behind their backs. Yeah. And like making fun and everybody feels like they're they're better than the group and they're kind of yeah. tied down by everybody else until you get a character who's on the outside with mm-hmm. guy or the thermians and they just so very much want to be a part of that group because when you're in the group you don't necessarily like you, you can feel the bond and yeah. you can feel it when you're separated from it and and when you're on the outs mm-hmm. like that's why uh james is so hurt when he's in the toilet stall and those those trolls are making fun of him in the bathroom. Yeah. It, like he's not upset at the idea of him being a cultural joke. What really yeah. kind of puts the knife into him is when he hears that. And did you hear what, you know, his friends say about him behind yeah. his back? Like when he's not around, like that's what really yeah. hurts him. Did you, uh, did I mention, I can't remember now cause it's, we've been talking for a while. Did I mention that that was a thing that actually happened to William Shatner? And that was a, an, an inspiration for that, for that scene. Uh, William yeah, Shatner but, yeah. was in a bathroom at a convention and overheard some fans talking about like how washed up everybody was and stuff like that. Oof. It really affected him apparently. I, I can't imagine. You know, and, and so having talked about it, that that sort of was was a, a strong inspiration for that scene, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Um, That's, sorry, it's, it's yeah, a really yeah. human thing though. To oh, kind totally. Of, like, it's really easy to crap on your mm-hmm. family, but it's... But they're still your family. Yeah, but they're still your family. And it's... Yeah. You don't necessarily appreciate it until you don't have it, which yeah. is not necessarily a, a terribly insightful thing. Yeah. But it's done really poignantly in this, where by the end, James mm-hmm. learns that. He gets a better idea of yeah. just how important all of these people are to him. And yeah. that he is... You know, he says the line before because he's mm-hmm. practiced saying it so many times, but like, you're not a commander if you don't have a crew. And he yeah. learns that lesson by yeah. the end. And he invites everybody to take a bow with him. Yeah. So even though he still got top billing on the next generation or whatever they're calling the <laughs> the sequel series, yeah, everybody you know everybody's celebrated. It's fascinating as as far as the Star Trek casts go. The first show, the cast was a lot like that. There was a lot of like tension and and stuff between these people who still sort of considered Star Trek to be a thing for them for for quite some time until much later when you know Leonard Nimoy and bill shatner and deforest kelly all kind of hated each other uh that's slightly inaccurate leonard nimoy and deforest kelly quite liked each other they were very you know, basically the the main thing was bill shatner's an asshole all right but uh, 
the next generation cast though in contrast i was watching a, a panel with them and they and, and i think it was marita certis was talking about how like everybody thinks that that's what they would be like too but if there's a party and they're all there at the start of the party, they're all sort of around the party. And then by the end of the party, they've all gravitated into a corner with their backs to everybody else. They all love each other so much that they like <laughs> exclude everyone else when they show up at the same place because they don't get to see each other as much as they would like to. And they're all really good friends. And I just think, feel like that's so adorable. And <laughs> I really love that. And as you look at like, the original Star Trek compared to the next generation, it feels it feels like it's almost emblematic of the two shows too. As much as we all love Jean Luc Picard, yeah. it's not the Patrick Stewart show featuring no. everybody else. It's Star Trek: The Next Generation, yeah, as opposed to it's Kirk and Spock and, and everybody Bones. else. Yeah, Shatner's gotten in some trouble uh, with with fans and and supporters of the the sort of side characters in that show for for feeling himself that that show was really about bones and spock and kirk and the other characters being less important in his mind and and like hearing his reasoning i can understand why he would feel that though i think he's kind of insensitive to the other people who were involved when he talks <laughs> about it like that but i mean the the show sort of the original star trek sort of revolved around the notion of like one character in three parts it was you had the the the, the hyper logical side of the character in Spock. You had the sort of hyper emotional side of the character in Bones, and you had the the ego in in Kirk, who was sort of drawing from both and running the whole show. And it, if you look at the original Star Trek from that perspective, you can see how, as the ego character, the actor might feel like that was the sort of most important thing. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the, sh the show's totally fascinating and i will i will try to remember to to point you in the direction of some of the the best episodes mm -hmm. it's heartwarming that this movie that galaxy quest is like it's a star trek show but it's also a star trek the next generation show that it seems yeah. to be picking and choosing yeah what it's a love letter to and what it's an indictment of oh yeah because it's really just it's it's fan service and yeah it's a love letter to kind of the franchise to date mm -hmm. i guess ds9 and voyager had both started by that point but but yeah i mean it's 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 at least a love letter to kind of what this series yeah had been by the time this movie has probably started being in, put in production mm -hmm. all right well the way that we always love to wrap up these discussions since this is a movie on netflix yeah i want to know what rating it got going into your own netflix profile yeah as well as assigning an mvp for the movie just a reminder before we get going uh one star means you hated it yep two stars didn't like it three stars liked it four stars really liked it five stars is loved it so let's hear your rating and your mvp as a big star trek fan i am hard pressed to give this anything but five because it so brilliantly captures the tone and the the sense of the show and plays with it in a way that's that's really great like I said, it wasn't a particularly complex movie, but it didn't really need to be. It hit all of the notes it needed to hit. And, uh, and you know, it's one of my favorite Star Trek movies. So <laughs> definitely I would get, I, I gave it a five. Um, as far as the MVP goes, I, I mean, a, you could pick anybody in the main cast, but I think that I have to give it to Tim Allen just for that really earnest portrayal of a, a, 
a sort of William Shatner who really loved everything about what he was doing. For me, I have recently given myself permission to just like relax when it comes to star ratings like yeah. this, this isn't published in a newspaper yeah. i'm not being held to this so uh i've, I've loosened up my expectations of yeah. uh, of what these what these ratings could could possibly mean because really if it's going into my netflix profile mm-hmm. it's just going to mean that i'm going to see more of the same if i liked it yep. so also getting five stars for me because i loved this movie and oh, this yeah. is i think the third time i've watched it yeah and every time it just yeah. gets better and better i, I rented this movie on tape yeah. the first time i ever saw it so um kind of as my understanding of star trek has gotten deeper the yeah. appreciation for everything that this movie is has gotten deeper as well before i assign an mvp i just want to acknowledge that i'm, I'm tempted to just say everybody mm-hmm. because it's so well cast oh it really is across yeah. the board from like everybody on the crew you know up to and including like the tony shaloubs and <laughs> sam rockwells and even like the people back home on earth like this is justin long's first movie yes and you absolutely buy him as <laughs> totally this upsettingly clueless but yeah. passionate dork who's just he's got this 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 yeah. loving thing this thing that he loves more than anything else in the world and even his parents who are just like you know what fine like you go off and do your thing at <laughs> he's least outside. he's outside <laughs> yeah. like i'm hearing my own parents saying that but I think that, you know, since it's my rules, it's my house, mm-hmm. um, you have to assign an MVP. And I really think that I have to give it to Enrico Colantoni yeah. for making Mathazar yep. so sympathetic, yeah, so so real, so human, but also so <laughs> insane and over the top. Like it's yeah, yeah. it's a it's a really unique performance that's I think it's actually something really special that yep. uh that I would regret not acknowledging it as being particularly outstanding amongst an already outstanding cast. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, that's going to be everything for our conversation about <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Just go out and watch it. Totally. Go yeah, just see watch it. it. If you've never, especially if you've never seen it, this is really worth watching at least once. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, Dylan, is there anything that... Uh, the mic is yours anything going on that you want to tell the world about well uh feedback loop is going to be doing a, a year in review episode is going to be released in early january where we take a look at some of our favorite stuff and some of the weirdest stuff some of the most fun stuff from our our first not quite a full year but from from 2015 that we looked at on our show then so if you haven't been listening to a feedback loop podcast that would be a good episode to hop in on because you get a chance to hear us talk about all of the stuff that we've already done um, if you're interested in looking into a feedback loop, we are on Facebook at a feedback loop. We are on our own website, a feedback If you are a musician, especially in the Southwestern Ontario area, and you are interested in having us take a look at your music, you can contact us at feedback loop podcast at gmail.com or through either of the previously mentioned areas. We're always looking for, for new people, uh, new things to take a look at. If you don't have a full album, that's fine. We've already done one, uh, what we called a single spotlight, and we're going to be taking a look at some more of that in the new year as well. I'm personally on Twitter at at Dilzim, D-Y-L-Z-I-M, if that's your interesting thing. I, it's a lot of politics on my Twitter, though, so that's maybe not what you want to be looking at if you're just interested <laughs> in the pop culture stuff, so... All right. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and doing this, and most especially for giving me a reason to watch this movie again. <laughs> I uh, I forgot how much I love it, yeah. so I really appreciate so, that. 
Totally my pleasure. Uh, we're going we're to look at getting you back on a feedback loop sometime in the new year, too. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Awesome. That's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platform, starting with Facebook at facebook.com slash netflixpodcast. Over on Tumblr, you can find us at netflixpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Twitter at netflixpod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark. More. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes directly to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards, like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now is another track off the album Forest City Series Volume 2 from record label A Person Disguised as People. I chose this piece called Myrtle Beach by artist Zachary Gray because it's a nautical-sounding song that matches up well with the Star Trek mood of exploration into uncharted waters. I'll be sure to include proper credit and links in today's episode's show notes. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix Podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet.